Welcome back, Real Raw and Flawed Podcasters, with your host here, Michael Pinky, and always special guest, my sister, Amber Pinky. Say hello. Hello, everyone. So, uh, Amber is still East Coast, so we're doing this over the phone, as usual. Um, Been a minute since we've uh, been on the podcast and got to record one between our schedules, but uh, I had a message come across my, my life today about just the word proud, and um, I thought it'd be a good time to pick back up kind of where we left off. We were still in our young years talking about Camp Saratoma and growing up when we were still living in the same house with mom and all that. Um, so I thought this was a good time to pick it back up. The message I heard today was just about the word proud and, and hearing that or giving that word to other people around you. Uh, the message was specifically about parenting, but I think it really goes through all of our relationships. And uh, I wanted to talk to you today about how that word was instilled in our life, if it was, if it was differently for you than it was for me in our age gap, or, or how our how you saw it with our parents and how I saw it and how it affects us today as adults. So um, what are your, some of your thoughts early on with, you know, the acceptance or, or mom or dad being proud of you for anything or did you hear that early on in in your young years, the the confidence building or, or I'm proud of you, Amber, or good job, or you can do anything along those lines? Um, when I think of the word proud and I think about our own childhood experience, um, the first thing that I see visually in my mind is our uh, mom's handwritten messages literally taped to every surface of my bedroom, the refrigerator, the bathroom sink. Uh, all around the house there was positive words of affirmation and inspiring um, affirmative things like you can do anything or anything you believe you can achieve or you know all kinds of things everywhere you looked that definitely reinforced um, that anything was possible and that, you know, anything we thought or believed was possible. Um, how, how early was that for you? I mean, I don't remember seeing that early on, but how early was that? Do you remember seeing those? Uh, so I remember probably, later on in, in Johnson City with us, but I don't remember that uh, very early on. Uh, you know, it's so weird. I mean, one a memory of mom that is very visual and... and um, like tangible, like I can reach out and touch. It's definitely her handwriting and lots of lots of that, lots of words of hers, whether they were scriptures on the fridge or whatever. So probably the earliest memory though I have, maybe Mozart Street into Ely Park, those years. Um, you know, as far as really I can like look into my the mind mic's off. And, By the way, the the mic's back on. Well, like the Ely Park years. So um, early adolescence, elementary school. Also, I feel like mom always put a positive message in like my lunch pail or something in the early days too. Really? I just feel like I think so. I think there was like when I was at Blessed Sacrament, and I had to like bring lunches before like you had like the ten cent lunches. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like she would always have a little something in there. You know, you shine, or I love you, or make today great or I don't know something or maybe a scripture or, you know I mean it's funny I do remember a lot of mom's handwriting is a very burned uh, image in my mind I, I, I know mom's handwriting from anywhere like it's very distinct it was very clear it was 
it was some of the best cursive handwriting I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Um, and I, I do remember that distinctively around the house on everything. I'm not sure I remember as many as the, the messages or what they said, but writing on pictures that were hung on the wall, adding words to them, writing on cards, always handwriting people cards uh, in, in and outside of our family. So I do remember that very distinctly. I mean, she had uh, very good penmanship, which was, I think, where I learned it, actually. I don't remember even learning it in school. I think I learned it just from watching Mom. Yeah. Um, but so do you remember seeing, like, I mean, probably the most visual for you would be Berkeley Street refrigerator. Yeah, definitely by the time we got to Berkeley, I remember her having a lot of stuff on the refrigerator, in her room, in the bathroom. Uh, I know, I mean, she even wrote stuff, and then she framed herself you know, like yes. she would frame her own handwriting, <laughs> like a message, yeah. a message that she likes. So uh, I do remember in in Berkeley, I'm I'm a little bit more. I want to get a little bit more into the actual verbal of it all because I, you might have seen this another way, but I, I really felt like Mom did those things to help her more than us, and not intentionally, just because she knew what she had to see and read every day and tell herself to get through and make sure that she didn't go the other way. I think those were okay. those were more for her than they were for us, but obviously us seeing them, that affects us as children too, so. Well, uh, you know, and it's hard to speak from one perspective at this point because now, you know, and, and the year to follow after her death too, um, seeing how much intention she really set, you know, the things that we all talk about um, as far as what we train our students and clients to do and what we have to do in our own life to what you just said, speaking to what you said um, about really having to affirm it, repeat it, write it, see it, repeat it, tell other people, practice it, you know, those kinds of things. She did that, I think, without and before that was like trending and part of this new practice, you know, this new age practice that we're all doing. Um, When I think about and read some of the things from letters she wrote me before I was born, letters she wrote to dad when she was falling in love with him, to all of her journals throughout her life that were just her private thoughts, to some of the instructions, you know, for after her life and things like that. I think that mom led a very, probably we didn't give her enough credit for this, and maybe we didn't actually reflect enough proud of her back in a way not knowing because we were kids but I really believe that she led a a very intentional life and that everything that she intended not only for herself but for us even probably more importantly was that love could cure everything and that positivity could really be fuel and um, I, I really think that that was a mindful and very um, set intention that she lived that was like I love you, I believe in you Uh, there's nothing you can't do always be stronger than me always follow your dreams always those kinds of things Um, verbally I think that definitely mom over dad mom certainly you know, was our biggest cheerleader, even when we did something wrong, she would be the first person to go to our defense and fight for us and whatnot. But more importantly, I feel like she always 
was saying positive things. I really don't ever remember her saying anything negative other than when she was pushed. Oh, mom used to defend, mom used to like laughingly defend things that I did purposely wrong and defend me to the end of like, there's, there's no way he would have done that unless he needed to, or you deserved it. (laughs) Me me doing something very stupid. that's unbelievably wrong. And me being an idiot, mom would still just her positive energy and her, her belief in the fact that even if I did it intentionally in a bad way, I would never intentionally do that in the right situation. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Because Knowing us. Heart. Yeah. And, and she knew that really we were good people at our core and that anything that we did do, whether we raged or whether we, you know, pushed limits or got in trouble in the, you know, conventional world or whatnot, um, I think a lot of times she would eat the shame and although she might be embarrassed by it or she might be ashamed of it or something that we did, she felt that she, of all people, could understand that it was coming from a place of hurt. And so she would just continue to be understanding and loving. And so in that, I think that's pride. Yeah. <clears throat> so I want to go back to uh, something that everybody knows, I think, probably generation to generation. I don't know if it stopped today, but, you know, remember the thing that used to say, like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words may never hurt me? Yeah. Um, that, that expression and uh, kids, kids growing up, like, their weapons were their words. You oh, know, absolutely. there was no like, even less fist fighting before that. Before fighting yes. was even a thing, it was, it was like, how deeply can you hurt somebody with what you said? Yes. And that's why terms like that came up, but it's actually not true. Uh, words are what mold us um, from people we care about the most, from our family to friends growing up to siblings throughout our entire life, um, and, and create this this either emptiness or fulfillment with us early on that could last a lifetime into our adulthood. So I think words actually can uh, harm in a, in a very, very big way, in a long-term way as well. Um, the, word, the, the word proud, <clears throat> just for definition terms, the word proud is uh, the feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction as a result of one's own achievements, qualities, or possessions, or those of someone whom is very close associated. So that's the definition of proud. I mean, that's that's really leaning in um, and feeling a certain way about somebody else. Well, yours one, but about somebody else's accomplishments. What I would add to that definition is is the failures too. I think to be super proud of somebody, fully proud, you have to be all the way. You can't you can't say I'm proud of you for being successful and achieving. Um, I think you have to be a proud of them for being, having humility and, and being open to fail or have the strength to fail and continue to, to become successful. Right. To where, where have you risen from and how much pain have you been in and turned it around or how much terrible has happened to you and you still continue to, to be good to the world and to other people. Yeah. Those, those are equally, um, they don't are always looked at as achievements, but really that's some of the harder work in life. So I share with you before, um, before we got on, but in the message this morning at church, they, uh, they use Barbara Streisand as an example of, you know, somebody so decorated in her field and multiple fields. She's one of the few that's, I think, two people ever that 
won all five awards, like Oscars, Academy, for acting, singing, the whole nine. She won all five. I think she's one of two people. Arguably one of the most talented people in the industry in history. And uh, at her peak in the mid-90s, she had one of her last shows on tour. It was one of the biggest ones. You know, 400, 500 plus thousand people there. And the second she hit the stage, the place erupted. Just mass eruption for minutes and minutes and minutes before she said anything. And when it, and she's just noticeably staring into the second row of the crowd the entire time. And when it all calms down, the first thing she says is, are you proud of me now, Mama? And if you look in interviews after or and before, she talks about really just seeking out that from her mother, like being good enough for her entire life because she never heard the words I love you or I'm proud of you or any of that uh, growing up. So it, it's, it's amazing how it can affect you, good or bad, right? Like she became an unbelievable human being, right? She's an icon. But, by seeking but, approval. But yeah, by seeking approval. And what is the struggle it took her to get there too? It's not all good, right? Especially it's, if that's the first thing she says at the end of the perfect career. You right. Know? So not I think even a, in the beginning. I just, I, that really hit me hard. And, you know, <clears throat> you're, you're one of the few, like, if I go back and, and think, dad never, never came at me like, hey, like right man to man, I was like, I'm proud of you. He never hit me with that. He had different ways of doing it with me. Um, uh, the, the way he looked at me or after I was done playing golf or something, I knew the moments he was, and he wasn't for sure. It was very different moments. He never said the words, though. Um, with Mom, I felt like I just witnessed her being trying to be so proud of herself that I felt some of it come off her. Um, and then later on, she did verbalize a lot more you know as I got older she did verbalize a lot more um you know that she was proud of me and then no matter what and you know she wasn't so worried about what I did if just if I was happy and uh so I got a a lot of that later from her but I think I witnessed more of it growing up and uh today really hit me hard emotionally because I found my I found myself like thinking back through it and feeling a little bit like that Barbara Streisand moment, like I felt a little bit like I've been running so hard to try to seek approval because I don't really remember it in our family that much. Um, Even when I did, even when I felt like I did something or accomplished something good, I didn't feel like I got a lot back from it, from the people I thought I should have. you know, I had, I had a hard time early on with you even saying, like, when we really mended our relationship and you really coming hard at me and, you know, telling me how much you love me and proud of me and the man I am and, you know, keep doing, you were showering me with it. And I had a hard time with that in the beginning. I just had a hard time hearing it because I, I wasn't used to it. I didn't know what it was. Like, I, I felt like it was, yeah, 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 like just words, you know? of dad um, and my experience and what I know about dad uh, also where religion came in um, on the juxtaposed position of what it was to be prideful and that kind of being a sin Um, and and then also the survival mode that everyone was in during most of our lives 
that there wasn't a whole lot of time to be proud of things that were supposedly already benchmarks or things that we were supposed to already do, you know, graduate middle school, uh, finish our recital, win the, the softball game or whatever it was. Um, it was just like, well, duh, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. So it's not like everybody's going to get a gold star. Um, to mom, to, to the point about dad, um, like you, you know, dad definitely was not one to be like, oh, I'm so proud of you, or, I'm so happy, or like positive affirmation and things. But a couple of things about dad that really stand out for me are, number one, he was highly intuitive, highly empathic, and highly telepathic. And I know those are like big weird words for, you know, the lay listeners or whatnot, but for us as his children and having those gifts and abilities that we've now fostered, further into our journey in evolution, um, dad had ways of communicating with us without words that were very, very powerful. Um, you know, no response is a response. Um, silence is a response. Um, if he would, you know, get emotional where he never showed emotion or cried, you know, when he heard me on a CD for the first time sing or saw you go or, you know, things like that. So the moments that we were able to feel that either energetically or through visual representation from him were almost bigger in weird ways because we were really striving for his approval, even though why I'm not sure other than the ongoing paternal link to being, you know, the child parent relationship. Um, because think, God knows he think, didn't have a whole lot of things to be proud of necessarily. Yeah. I think he, I think he presented himself as so hard too, um, yeah. to break that. I think for us uh, trying to get that moment out of him was more important. I think for mom, we saw it more constant, even if it was for her, if she wrote it for us, it was a, a little, it was around more, not directly, but it was around more where dad, it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. and I felt like those moments were not just, I didn't try to just seek approval from him for me, but I tried to seek it for him too, if that makes sense. A hundred percent because he had so much tangible sorrow in his heart, even right. though he could be funny and be smart, all the things he was, um, to see him light up or, or feel a moment of pride or, or things like that, I think meant a lot to us. And, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, that goes back to our ongoing conversation in codependence because, you know, how sad is it that we couldn't just directly accept approval um, because we are more worried that, you know, he was feeling something positive for a change rather than us even having to. And I think that's what stole a lot of our positive moments was that we were so worried about our parents all the time that even if they were proud of us, you know, we potentially were thinking, gosh, I'm glad that they can feel something good for a change, you know, um, being part of it. Um, and with mom, like you said, to your point, there was a part that was kind of like, we took advantage of a little, you take it for granted. When somebody's always doing something good for you, always loving you, always supporting you, always there, you don't have to work so hard for it or try so hard for it. So sometimes, we didn't fully acknowledge how much fuel she was really filling us up with. And there was a part of us that could see through the transparency of, don't be proud of me even when I'm running amok. You know, have a little bit of discernment and, and make me rise to a better standard. Yeah. And not just not just love me unconditionally, even though, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, we should love people unconditionally, but 
you can really dissect that conversation, you know? Love me unconditionally, but don't accept me when I'm less than my full potential, potentially, right? Yeah, and that's... Like, that's what I rise to my occasion? I think that's what you and I took it as um, with mom early on, but, you know, looking at it later, um, I'm really... I'm really looking at that she, she had it right. Like, she had it right. Like, you, you got to give, no matter what. Like when you're you're deeply involved in somebody, and you do believe in their hearts. Like, mom believed in ours. No matter what we did, you know, good or bad, you got to give it equally so that so that we don't seek it only on one side. And I think mom, by accident or not, may, you know, after mom's death. Like, I realized how much smarter she was than I gave her credit for. Right. And, and today, every time I, like, going through my life shit, and I look back and things mom did or didn't do, I'm thinking to myself, like, I used to think it was out of survival and she was just trying to make things work and she was there with us, too, just trying to figure it out as a youngster. But I don't know. I think mom was smarter than we gave her credit for, and I think um, she was learning out of during this process as well but she knew what she was doing and be, and I think she knew what she was doing because she had her own uh, faith and and backing you know like 100% she had her backing of faith in in Christ and what she believed in even though we weren't there she believed in that she read it just like today when I hear a message and it, and it you know fills me up or gives me goosebumps or makes me cry like I, I understand mom now I didn't before right. because it never it never gave me anything. But it gives you right. wisdom and trust and hope and understanding and, and and pride and all these things. And I think mom was I think mom was brilliant. I always said that dad was a, a failed, brilliant man. I think mom was just brilliant. Absolutely. Her the intention of her heart had been set and at whatever age that she decided to survive her own childhood and her own oppression and her own abuse and her own loneliness. And whatever moment she decided, whether that was when she got pregnant for the first time or felt loved for the first time or whatever that moment was, when she decided, she set a very clear intention to be a good person, to be of service, to do nothing but love, to continue loving no matter what, like the sun. And that she would have the faith that that would hold us all up. And when I do hear certain uh, psalms and I do hear certain things at church or even just out in the world, you know, holding us in the palm of their hand or I will raise you up or all these things, that is what mom represented. She is the strength. She is the wind beneath our wings. She is the wind, the sun, the moon. All of it. Yeah. And, it, and all of that does really equate and boil down to what it is to be proud of someone. And she was just so proud to have created life and to look at us and, and know that we were part of that and that she could see the good in us no matter what. And really, thank God, I really believe that was our saving grace because we had a lot of um, contrasting and conflicting feedback from the world that said otherwise, you know, including the same exact religion that she exposed us to, because really, you know, every single mass we've ever attended, especially in the Catholic faith, um, there was so much content about pride being a sin, a mortal sin, 
and to, to be humble, to not be proud. And then dad, who was the anti-establishment, anti-institution, anti-religious organization type person, also kind of conveyed the same message, like, what is there to be proud? Like, you can't, right. don't stop, don't stop to be proud. Like, are you kidding me? Like, in this humble, like, we need to, like, this world is so much bigger. And well, he believes how, somebody would take, how dare you, yeah. you know, sit down and have any pride in that. Yeah, he believes somebody would take something from you if you show, if you showed too much of your cards. You know, it, he always he believed in a different way, and but either way, it made it look like it was bad to us growing up. Right, um, don't don't get too excited about anything. There's still yeah. so much work to do. And either way, I think that that message ended up conveying something really good in us because it helped us, even in spite of ourselves, even though we didn't really understand where they were going with that now that we're here having these conversations and doing the real work out in the world we do real we do realize that yes i am worthy enough to revel in my accomplishments and i'm worthy enough to accept joy and accolades and love and some reflection of what i'm doing however there's still so much work to be done i have to stay humble and grateful and kind and so pride Versus, I think the word proud and the word pride are funny words. And and again, like you said, learned language, right? This is all learned language. The English language is so fucking backwards and, you know, convoluted. I think there's better words that we're looking for to convey the same thing. I mean, it's really about supporting our team, supporting humanity, supporting sustainable living, Supporting, it's really about support, it's really about love, it's really about letting people know they're not alone, that we're connected, that we feel them, that they're not invisible. I can see you, yeah. Um, I see you, and I see you're struggling, and I see your success, and I'm right here, and you're not alone. So keep it up, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I must have messaged you know 20 people closest to me this morning. You know, I sent you a message, I sent similar messages out this morning of just. Saying the same thing, you know. Um, I'm just I'm proud to have known the people. I'm I'm proud of the people that I surround myself with um, because one, I have the choice always who's going to be around me. Like it comes sure. comes down to us. We make the choice. Right. So if you if you are the decider, you have to be. You should be proud of the people that are around you. You shouldn't just have people around you to have people around you. Um, 100%. Because they can they can sink your boat. They can be every time you're looking forward and rowing and looking the other way, they can be chiseling a little hole in the in the front of the boat, taking on water. So, absolutely. I think you need to look at your circle. You know, we did a a, a podcast about check your circle and who's around you, and I think you always need to check your circle and and make sure add one more thing to that. If you're not proud of every single person in your circle and proud to be a part of them, then maybe they shouldn't be in your circle. And, and one step further on that thought, and I just had this conversation with my friend Alex yesterday, and I have this ongoing conversation uh, for a number of years now, really, the last eight or nine years in my own evolution, is thinking about the fact that, you know, when I started to truly love all the people around me in a way where I was looking at the people and thinking, wow, I really like you, I really like you, I really like you, all these different attributes that each person was bringing to the table, I felt like I liked me more. And that that meant a lot to me because I felt like for a long time when I was unhappy in life, 
you know, I thought I liked people and I thought I liked certain friends or I thought I liked a certain partner or whatever it was. And it's not to say that they didn't have good attributes or, or good things that I thought, you know, were the potential of them. But that was a big learning lesson for me. You know, people do not have the veracity and or the um, evolutionary journey that we necessarily are experiencing. Even you and I are different, but we're ending up on the same path, whereas we can't. I have so many people in my life because I was loving everybody, but everybody wasn't necessarily loving me back. Yeah. in a way that, that was healthy, you know. Um, you know, it might have been the, the most they could love, but it wasn't necessarily feeding me or anything in my life um, and helping, you know, cultivate the garden of our community. And so those were hard lessons to kind of have to walk away from or let go of certain people. But knowing that I didn't like myself as much when I compromised who I was by accepting people or situations that weren't, where I knew we could all be together. And the older we get and the more that we've refined this, you know, thing that we're doing here, um, it's so nice to think about if you and I right now named like the 10 people each that are the people we think of on the most regular basis that we probably barely see and whatnot, you know, the Ashley and Brandons and Marco and Sarah's and... Carrie and Alex and Stephen and you know just some of the people that have touched our lives in ways that still to this day decades later they're doing the work too and we're all doing it differently but God they're, they're wonderful great people that are contributing to not only their own lives and society but to everyone and to us and you know it, it's such a beautiful thing and so I, that only makes me like me more yeah of course so that that's a really important thing to think about you know it, it used to be oh well this is our family so I guess we have to love them or this is our these are the friends that we grew up with in school so I guess we have to love them or you know these are the people coming around so I guess we have to love them or the people we work with at the bar whatever and that doesn't that we do have the choice you're right and I choose to be loving and I choose to be and surround myself around loving grateful humble people that are contributors that want to grow, that want to evolve, that want to be part of what we're trying to build here. And, and really, it's just a sense of peace and security and love. And you, know, it's goodness, cra- you, know. you know, it's crazy on, on, you know, the enlightened and educated journey I'm on now and, and just learning the brain and how it works and, and knowing the facts still it is a struggle. I want people to understand, like, I didn't know what it was before growing up. I didn't know why I got into positions I was in. I didn't know why I got into modes where I felt highly depressed or I felt like I was stuck and I was never going to get out. I didn't know why I was getting that way. I thought, oh, it's my surroundings or or how I grew up or just this is me. I was born into it. And not till later, obviously, studying the human brain, understanding psychology and these things. You know, I'm I'm learning all these these things now about the brain and how we get there and what happens chemically in the body to get you in these states. And I'm so much better for it today, but man, it's it's still not easy. Even when you got all the tools, it's very easy to let your words create your world. And that was kind of the message, like your words can create your world. And you talk down, you talk bad, you talk, I had a terrible day and I hate Mondays and 
man, if only, and poor me, it can really turn the direction of the path of your life in a hurry. And you can, you can feel stuck and you can get into that moment for days, months, years at a time. And today for me, it's like, you know, I still get in days of it. I used to get sure. months of it, a year of it, two years of it. I get in days of it because I'm aware. I kick my own self in the ass and go, hey man, you got control of this. Why are you being stupid? But it's, it's so crazy how easy it is to go down that path. And if you don't have those people around you supporting you and letting you know and reassuring you that you are the person you know you are, it's even easier. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And, and, and to what you said, so the path, right? The path, the Tao, the Tao, the T-A-O, the oldest uh, books in history, you know, about the path, okay? Whether they're talking metaphorically about the road we leave, the way we walk, uh, or the actual neuropath in the brain, right? Just like those woods behind Ely Park, the path we took every day to, you know, whole nine, that path had been carved out. We walked it every day. All the kids walked it. So the path was clear. You could see it. It was clear. It was dirt. There was no pricker bushes or things to trip over or whatnot. It was clear. So everybody could see the path. So why would we break out and, and go through the pricker bush and the brush when there's already a path defined? That's that's our life. That's our brain. Yeah. That's our choice. And so... I think you hit on yeah. that. The ner- I think you hit on it there, though. The reality of all the words we use, the path in life, the journey, the, the path less traveled, um, all these things are actual visual things that we see with our eyes, right? Like yes. we say we see the path, like the literal path you see in yes. front of you, um, but the neural path is really the key. I mean, that's the real key to things. Right. Your your brain controls what you see. Right. It's the same way as if... You you, you drive through life every single day, 40 years, same job, same thing, same lunch, and you never recognize the person to your right for 40 years. You don't know who it is because your your eyes weren't open to it, and that starts in the brain. So I think you nailed it with the the neural path is really the path I think it's always being spoke about, and maybe knowingly or not, but that's really where it starts. The brain has to make the path so your eyes can see so your body can trust and you can follow. I mean, these things yes. start really early on and it is a neural pathway. And, and the beauty of it is you have full control. The path going from our backyard to number nine, when I walk it and when you walk it, and when mom walks it and when the next door neighbor walks it, we see differently that same exact path. And it's because our neural pathway in our brain is telling us already has an image of how we see life. Because first, we're the silly putty, right? First, we don't have any cognitive reality or choice. First, we are just imprinted on. Somebody imprints the path. Okay, when you're born, okay, you're going to eat at these three times. You're going to sleep at these times. You're going to play at these times. You're going to have love from external sources at these times. So it's all imprinted. So paths are created for us before we have any choice over the matter. And then whether or not we are chosen and or inspired to seek out new paths and realize 
the tools and the language that is available to us to create new paths and that the number of paths that are possible to create are infinite. We don't, there's no end to the number of paths that we can create that are new, that are not imprinted yeah. upon, that we can imprint and create. In the same but, direction, by the way. It can be the same direction. That, that path that you and I see, 100%. we can see it differently as many times as we choose to. Doesn't mean you have to go off it and go left. You can ride that every day. It's the way we look at it before we go on it. We can see it differently every time, and that's our choice. And so back to our conversation at when you were at ASU, you know, some 10 years ago, and we were on our way to the party late trying to get through our own muddled relationship and learning how to communicate just because we knew we wanted to, but we didn't know how. And we talked about the fact that somehow we had both arrived at a place where we had found moments of happiness. But what we didn't know and what nobody tells us, because there's no education about neuropath um, training or uh, the possibilities being endless in a real way of how to get there, right? Um, we didn't realize that, okay, all right, so we never thought happy was even a thing we could achieve because we had had such a state of fight or flight our whole lives. And then, oh my gosh, we both on our journeys out there in the world found, oh my gosh, I, I've actually felt happy in moments. Wow, this is this is new. This is awesome. Okay. But guess what? When I wake up tomorrow, I'm not just automatically happy, right? We came to that conclusion. And that's when, it, that's when this process that we're on now actually began 10 years ago for you and I, yeah. is that when, that when we both had the realization coming from two totally different roads and two totally different perspectives that, okay, I found happy, now how do I stay happy? What the hell? So I, I thought that when I found happy, then I could just be happy now forever. No, you have to practice it. And so back to the point, the beginning of this conversation is anything we repeat we will be good at. That is how a new neuropath or a path through the woods is created. Doesn't matter if it's here on earth in the woods or if it's in our brain. If we repeat something over and over and over and over again, a new path will be formed. And so the choice and the free will comes in in what we will repeat. I'm never going to stop because of where we came from in life leading with a negative thought or a worry or a guilt or a concern or a sadness or an unworthiness, right? But now I've trained myself to acknowledge, okay, I hear you coming, but I love puppies or I'm yeah. happy, healthy, successful, and wealthy. Or yeah. even if it's a, and we talked about this several times, even if it's a lie, I have to tell myself until it becomes the path of least resistance, okay then I'm going to lie to myself until it becomes the path of least resistance because that benefits me and everyone around me more. Right. And it, and it doesn't matter what we do. If we're talking about our sport, our life, our happiness, love, kindness, gratitude, pride, support, any anything under the sun, really. Yeah, I think, I, I agree. I can't agree more. I mean, this is, it shows up in every part of my life and I understand it more and more in every day and, that's why today really, really touched me deeply today. And I think if I challenged everybody that's listening to do to do one thing or to do two things is one, something you do every single day, make a minor change to it next time you do it. Minor. Different music you listen to on the way to work, maybe a different genre, maybe a podcast instead of music, maybe no music on the way to work. Maybe try to look at everything on your way 
Uh, maybe at work, notice somebody that you've never talked to. Look around your office. Uh, just try to do something minor and see what it does. I think it will change the way you see things. It might just be in a day, but I guarantee it'll do something to you. And um, it's a little thing you can try. And don't accept that whatever your norm is, is all there is. I mean, that's part of the complacency is part of the problem right. in, in society is that people just believe that, well, this is what I have to deal with and this is what I've been given, so therefore this is my reality. And they don't understand how powerful they really are. I'm still, you know, 40-some years old. I There's roads that I have not taken, literal roads out there in cities anywhere, that I have not taken, that I've passed by a thousand times, and I've thought to myself just recently in the last year or so, God, I never took that road. I wonder where that road goes. And why does everything have to be, you know, that linear same path or whatnot? Why can't I just take that road and see if I, I don't come out a different way or I see something that makes my day or changes my day or I find an egg stand that sells beautiful blue literal, eggs? Or literal and bread. neural. Right? Literal and, and neuro. Right. So and neuro. physically, if you want to take a left next time and see where if that takes you, you're going to get home. Right. Just take a left. It might take you a little longer, or maybe you have to turn around and come back. But uh, And then neuropathically, do something you normally wouldn't do. So number two is going to be send a message out to a couple people that have been maybe in your life every day or maybe just in your life for a long term. So we all have those friends that are our best friends forever, but we don't talk to them a lot. You never know when somebody needs to hear something at all. It doesn't have to be words of wisdom or some mind-blowing fist-pound message. It just has to be like, hey, man, thinking of you. Hope you're doing well. Or, hey, proud of you. Keep it up. And any little thing, you never know the timing, how important it can be uh, with anybody. And that, that goes across in me. So I'm going to practice that more often because uh, for me... It's been, I know that when I'm the most down in my life is when I'm separated the most from the people I care about because I isolate myself and that means I'm not bouncing anything back and I have nothing to bounce off of. So I feel like when I'm down, I feel like I'm not getting anything poured into me. I'm not getting, reciprocating, getting love back from friends, family. So, but I do that to myself and I recognize that. And I think, like you said earlier in the messages, when you reach out and you're feeling good and you're saying nice things to people and you're talking to people and you're actively involved in other people's life and then you feel better like that's the point like you have to pour into each other it's not right. one or the other so that's the and second challenge feel so, and it, it, it's a day changer I mean it, it's such a day changer even just a tiny little heart or the smallest affirmation or I'm thinking of you or you're not alone right now specifically in this part of history where we're living right now I think everybody has their nose to the grind in whether that's the, the project they're working on the jobs that they're working on their iPhone whatever is going on everybody's nose to the grind right like nose down no forward looking just you know straight linear lines I gotta do this 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 and everybody's working so hard and if you ask if you were to interview everybody including yourself right on 
why do you work so hard or why do you why do you do the things that you do or why do you put so much time and effort into becoming successful or why is success important to you or what almost everybody with a heart or anybody at least in our circle the people that we communicate with most often whether that's our peers professionally or um you know, in our friends and family circle, I think everybody's answer is going to be, you know, for my family, for the people I love, for, you know, legacy, you know, all those things, right? And that's great, but what about also adding a little bit more support and love in? What about just reaching out day to day, like you said, just kind of letting people know, hey, I'm thinking about you, or wow, you're doing an amazing job, or, you know, you're not alone, or you're not invisible, or I see you, you know, the smallest, tiniest little thing, and it, that's what, if that's what we're really all living for, then how, how big can that be to receive that message in the middle of the day when you haven't heard from anybody, you know, in a week, or two, or a month, or a year? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's, it's so important, it's, um, it, it's actually, it's not hard to do the act of it, it's just, easy to forget to do it and that's what we do like you said we get busy and we just forget and then because we live in a little bit more busy world today the access to our phones and working from everywhere and we just we forget but that forgetful day turns into a month and that month turns into six months and next thing you know wake up like oh my god i haven't talked to my friend in a year is that the last time i saw you and yeah it's that sucks because that that's not really a, a friendship and uh, I think you just you got to pour more in, uh, and I wouldn't limit this to friends and family. Uh, I met no, I met not. I met somebody the other day was on a podcast and just a phenomenal woman and what she's doing with her family and her kids and uh, all they've been through and and her energy and her attitude still. When you would want to think right off the surface, like man, how do you go through? It's because it's a choice. Like I mean, she she pours back into it. And it gives her back. So it's pretty amazing to witness other people. That's why I say don't, it's not just your inner circle. Keep your eyes open for people around you that you haven't met yet. And listen, Absolutely. keep your ears open, keep your eyes open and, um, and listen, because man, it could touch you in a way that you don't even know. Uh, the message today, I don't know the pastor of this church I go to. I just, sometimes I don't like the message and it doesn't do anything and I leave. And um, other times it like spears me through the heart. Sure. Um, it's because you got to be listening. So, well, and, and let's just speak a little bit on um, you know some of the ways that we used to feel about mom's world, right? Okay, so she was like this, like saint inside her own life, right? And so every single day she reached out to people. We we started out the conversation with um, the number of times we've seen her hand write a note or send out cards or send out thank yous or send out letters or um, you know bring somebody a homemade pie or everything she did she touched with her actual hand and hand delivered it. You know, and, and that was again an intention that was set specifically of service. That was an intention to spread joy, to spread love, to spread faith, to let people know that they were not alone in the darkness. And whether that was her trying to fulfill her own loneliness or darkness, or whether that was truly where she was called to serve, I think that you and I, at different times in life, you know, we always wanted mom to have a bigger life or wanted more for her just because we loved her and we knew that potentially, you know, she could be even so much more, you know, what if she was a civil rights attorney or what if she, right, all these things that we wanted for her, like she wanted for us, but 
oftentimes we thought that that was like too small and that was her life's purpose and that was her fuel and that's what really um, fueled her to like feel purposeful and have life in her every single day was that service and so even when you said that just now I feel like you and I are a little different in that where people might not always understand my level of commitment or love to my people, my tribe, my, you know, everybody, the, the guy, the gen, Dollar General, all the way to, you know, my partner, to my family, to all of the friends that I've made across the country. I spent, there's not a day that goes by really that I don't send out anywhere from eight to like 25 messages to the people all over and it's random people it's some of your friends from high school it's some of mine it's some it's the guy i just met at the store that has the pink hair and that i'm surprised he has children and a family for some reason you know it's it's all the different interactions that i feel empathically need to be infused with some kind of love or some kind of validation and saying someone's name and whatever it is and some, some people think that that's a waste of time or that that's even the people maybe receiving it sometimes like you said when I used to shower you with a lot of pride and things when you started out on your journey at ASU and things and I'd tell you how proud I was of you all the time and different things you would do and everything and that was hard for you to take because you had never you didn't want you didn't believe it for yourself most importantly and two you weren't used to it so it seemed unfamiliar and foreign to you so it was uncomfortable at first you know until you realize years in like wow somebody was supporting me through this and I am worth that because I have worked really hard and I did want to make a difference and I am making a difference and I still have work to do but you know I am worthy of that love and hopefully little by little we can do that with everyone Whereas maybe I might like overkill it a little bit, you know, you could, you can acknowledge that you could wrap it up a little more. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we're all coming from different perspectives and neither one of it is from less of a heartfelt want for that connection. And nobody wants a year to go by and not speak to one of your best friends and not believe that a year went by and feel so guilty for not being a part of like, oh my God, your kids are getting so big or you're whatever it you is, know, right? You know what I believe? Um, you know what I believe? We don't want that, but I think that, that our, the people that really truly know our hearts know that we we are thinking of them and setting up that love all the time, even when they don't hear from us or see us. Well, you know what I believe <clears throat> that humans, what gets in the way of humans is when we have we best friends when we grow up and we're young, you, you can't even think about the gaps between not hanging out with them. Oh, like right. it's, it's ridiculous. Like first thing in the morning, all day long. You beg your parents to stay out later. You beg your parents to stay up later. Talk on the phone. You want to you want to hang out with your friends twenty four seven if you could, um, and the cared ones. And then the first girl or boy you meet, it's the same. Like you just want this human interaction wants to be twenty four seven. But when we become adults and the pressures of life and the responsibilities of life, bills, the pressures of are you successful? Comparison to your friends. Where do you line up? Where do you fall in line? All these these societal pressures that come as an adult mm-hmm. actually pull us away from each other because we're not feeling sometimes prideful of ourselves, comparing ourselves to everybody else. So, like getting together with maybe a group of your oldest friends might not feel good right now because of the place you're in and you're judging yourself. Um, sure. But but I want everybody to know that the the hardest judgment that can possibly happen is not from your friends, not from the strangers, not from your workplace. It's internally. It's on yourself from you. 
most right. of the time people don't care as much at all as how much you care about something that's only happening in your head. 100%. So you got it. Like I think that brings us apart from each other a lot and and I know I know it definitely did with me uh, a long time ago. Um, but today I'm more interested in like hearing about others what they're doing even if it's failure. Like I don't I don't misery doesn't love company style but even if I called my best friend and was like, "Hey, how you been doing?" and he's like, "Man, I've been this is the worst time of my life." It gives me an opportunity to talk to my friend in a real way. Yes. So yes. it's not that I want to hear anybody failing. It's it's the opportunity to talk to my friend and maybe help him through it, but maybe even help me out of something I didn't rec- recognize. 100%. And those are the reflections, right? The other point to think about and remember and to keep in mind is that, you know, when we were kids and all we had was our friends and we lived for them and that's all, every plan revolved around them and all those things. One, we had so much more freedom. Two, they were the world to us. And so now that we're all spread out around the world and around the country, um, we're, we're actually feeding a much bigger community than you know, the Timberland crew or, you know, the people that we hung out with that were just in our smaller circles. The, the circle got so much bigger and it's so much, it's such a bigger job to have everything we do be affecting the whole as far as like the world is concerned, not just our small friend group. And, you know, we understand the pebble and throwing the pebble in and the ripples that affect all shores and being able to affect one person affects multiple people. And that's been, I'm so glad that we, that we get that because that's so huge, right? And powerful. But the opposite of that is that, you know, part of the thing we're doing out here in the world and even these podcasts and these conversations and being transparent and fearless in these ways um, in sharing is that we really want everyone to know, not just people closest to us, back to, you know, touching a stranger, that we're not alone. We're all going through the same things and that, you know, although things change and, and things shift and our priorities shift and we can't be in that blissful community where, you know, we were, we were once tribes. All of the history of the entire humanity is inside of us. So when we were all just tribes, you know we stayed with those same people that we loved and wanted to be with every moment in high school or whatever it was, yep. and, you know, the dirt tribe school, you know, in the third world country. We st- we ended up staying with those people for the rest of our lives in those scenarios, yep. evolutionarily, right? So now society, you know, we're civilization, uh, collective consciousness, the whole thing, it's so much bigger and we can affect so many more people that it's hard to only think of just the tribe. Yeah. Um, sustainably. So that changes dynamics too. And that's why there's so much more space created as time goes on between people. Um, because we're not staying in one tiny town and, you know, with the same people. And we, we don't have to only grow food for them. Now we're trying to grow food. And when I say food is a metaphor for everything, education, yeah. evolution, everything. Um, we're doing it for the entirety of the collective consciousness now of the world I hope I mean that's the intention set right so it's a much bigger job and so there's just more to do and so there's going to be more space in between and it's hard to prioritize any one thing but it's important that we do back to the beginning of the conversation is that keep reaching out and keep supporting and keep telling people you're proud of them and they're not alone whether it's the people that you grew up with or it's the person in the store or it's the person in China that hits you up because you liked the same me (laughs) you know whatever Well, that's, uh, I want to I wrap it up with, um, 
one, the key things we take away from today, um, one, we're going to be doing, I think from now on, we're going to try to pump one out every Sunday. Um, okay. You and I, and, and try to get the message out every Sunday. And and just because, for one, it's a, it's a big message day for me always. Like, I spend a lot of my Sunday uh, listening to other podcasts, going to church. I spend a lot of my Sunday, like, informationally on my personal side of my life. Um, and I don't want to miss the messaging to share and how I interpret it. So I think... You and I will continue putting these out on Sundays, whether we record them whenever or not. But um, I think I wanted to wrap it up with something that really crossed over for me today was the past year, his daughter plays golf. Uh, and, and she played golf. She was in high school golf at the time when he was telling the story here. But, uh, you know, I don't whether you know this or not, but when you go play golf and you, you watch your kids, like parents aren't allowed to say anything. Nobody can say anything. It's not like football or baseball where you yell at your kid or, come on, keep it up, or you can't even shout, good job. It's a quiet environment. The rules are you don't say shit, okay? Your parent get to walk. You get to walk outside the ropes and don't say anything. Well, he was telling a story that really just gave me goosebumps today and just kind of moved me because, one, the experience I've had in this in the golf game with parents, um, but he was watching his daughter play, and there was this hole that was – the, the green was surrounded by water, and you had to carry the whole water to get over to this, the second shot. Well, she hit the first shot, went in the water. Dropped another one, hit the second shot, went in the water. Dropped another one, third shot, went in the water. She dropped in the fourth, and he said he, he found himself getting worked up, and, and he kind of said something aloud and maybe a little too loud kind of like what is going on here and he said it loud enough for like everybody can hear golf course is really quiet well she drops another one that goes in she drops another one that goes in i mean she's on her fifth sixth ball coming up and he notices that she's bawling crying like just pouring tears on her face and she drops another one the seventh ball and it goes in and she finally hits the eighth eighth ball over gets it over gets up and down, gets in the hole, and she has to write an 18 on the scorecard. And, you know, noticeably upset. And it's a it's a hole that she'll never forget in her entire life because he said that he, in a moment where all she actually needed was people that are closest to her to love, support, be there, cheer for her, no matter what, let's go, we can do this. And I was the opposite of all those things as a father. And it, it, it touched me in two ways. One, I'm not a father. I don't have kids. But um, it touched me in two ways. His own ego got in the way of supporting his own child. You know, one. Two, he, he didn't put himself in her shoes and, and know that even during failure, you need the support. That's why I said earlier, failure or success. And <clears throat> three is that's a, a lasting moment in her life. It affects our children. That's what the message was about today, parenting and pride but and being proud. But it really does go on throughout everybody. And I thought that was a powerful thing because in golf we see this a ton with our juniors and our the juniors' parents. They really ride their asses. They really get on top of them for failures. They really push them really hard. And it's through their want 
of success that they're pushing that child that way and never realizing what the child actually cares about. You know? So I thought that was that was massively powerful at the end for me because I'm in that world. I get it. We've had to talk to parents. We've had to yell at parents before. We've had to send parents home before. Um, but to hear a parent talk about it from that aspect really touched me because he really felt it in that moment. He started getting emotional just telling the story today. And, and it's something that happened years ago. So um, last thing I want to say about pride is, or being proud or telling somebody you're proud of them is three things. Say it often to the people you care about or people you just encounter. Say it about who they are and not about what they do. And say it even when they fail. I think those three things are key and and, and uh, can help us all. So. I love that. Anybody <clears throat> who's ever had any success has failed a million times, mm. and we know that. So I appreciate your time today again, and uh, you know I love I love getting on these with you because we always we always touch a lot of different things. I think not just for the audience, but for us. Um, you know, always goes back somewhere with us. So it's relatable. These conversations are for us, um, but just like in church or just like in big crowds or public speaking, sometimes when you're in the crowd and you feel like the speaker's talking to you, it's because Absolutely. we're because we're all going through the same thing. Like and we're, he's not we're, talking we're, to you. We're all going through the same. <laughs> and wherever we show up is is what we're meant to see and hear for whatever the lesson. So yeah. being being open and, and receptive to all the messages yeah. that show up in front of us. Well, that is for uh, that's it for our Sunday real raw and flawed podcast. Download it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. You can find it real raw and flawed. There's a picture of your boy Pinky right there. Um, and download it. Please listen. Leave comments. Um, leave notes about what you want to hear us talk about. Be happy to jump on a podcast and talk about a, a specific topic as well. And or come on as a guest. We'd love to have you. So um, until next week, we love everybody. We hope you have a great week. And, uh, and be kind to each other. Tell somebody you're proud of them. Yeah, hey, you're all doing a good job out there, so keep your head up and your heart open. Love you so much. Have a great week. Till next time.